Welcome to the Coach's Plan podcast, Plan to Coach with Coach New Brunswick, a podcast for coaches by coaches, brought to you in part by the National Coaching Certification Program and the Coaching Association of Canada. Got it on the first try. <laughs> I'm Ashley Milani, the manager of coaching education with Coach New Brunswick, and I am delighted to be joined today by Betty Dermer Norris in her beautiful home office, surrounded by uh, pictures of... Um, Years past of Canada's Olympic team, there is an Olympic torch from uh, Vancouver sitting in the corner. It's a little bit intimidating, um, but it's very, very cool. Betty, thank you for talking with me today. It's great to be here and great to be talking to you on this sunny day. Yeah, yeah. We are having a, a fantastic spring so far. Yeah. I'm a little bit worried about the the melts on the river, but I think uh, yeah, 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 yeah. As long as it's not as bad as last year's, we'll be we'll be, we'll be good. fine. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I, uh, this is our, this is our season finale. As many of you know, uh, you'll find us again next fall. Um, but for now I wanted to sit down with Betty and, uh, kind of cap off our, our past season of, of bringing you this new podcast, um, by speaking with one of our hometown heroes and, uh, Betty, I'll let you talk a little bit about, um, I'll let you, I'll let you rattle off your resume a little bit. Okay. Um, well, I'm currently retired, uh, happily retired, I think. <laughs> um, Who knows who's going to drag you back into yeah, it? Yeah, always, you know, do, does one ever retire, you know, mm -hmm. from work completely. And I can't see myself, you know, not doing anything or being involved, yeah. continuing to be involved in sp sport in some capacity. But um, I would say that, you know, my career or uh, I guess the um uh the genes in me uh started like when i was young um my dad played professional football for the cfl mm -hmm. and mom i would say um at at the time that she was in school she broke the glass ceiling in terms of wanting to play every sport imaginable mm -hmm. uh, and what was available to her um, so I think I was somewhat influenced by them in terms of, you know, being athletic. Um, they never encouraged me one way or another, um, you know, it was whatever I wanted to do in life. And uh, I played sports. I played basketball, racquetball, um, and then uh, very influenced by a coach um, uh, when I went to Sejep in Montreal. I was born and raised in Montreal. Um and he was a graduate of the University of New Brunswick. And uh, I was unsure where I wanted to go with my career path at that time. And he felt very strongly just watching me interact with people and my love and passion for sport that he felt I'd be a good phys ed teacher. <laughs> so um, strongly recommended because he had graduated in phys ed, uh, from UNB. Um, I applied as I applied to many universities, got accepted to, you know, all of the universities, um, in Montreal, but felt it was time to cut the apron strings. So came out East and a lot of friends that I know from Montreal were coming to UNB and, I think a big plus was that they recognized my SEGEP, so they gave me advanced standing. So I did a, a four-year program in three years, basically. Nice. Um, so I was always involved in sport or athletics in some capacity, um, and the sport administration side was um, more my forte than actual teaching side. And uh, when I got into university, that's exactly where I, um, um, that year, 
they made the decision to have a recreation stream and an education stream. So I took the recreation stream. So I, I think it wasn't until I had graduated from UNB um, and I decided not to go back home to Montreal. I felt that my uh, work options probably were, would be a little bit more attractive here in, in the province. I'm bi bilingual and um, so I stayed put. Um, but what I did is although I didn't work in sport and recreation in the field for the first couple of years I was out of university, I got involved with a local club here in town and um, I, I rode myself, I competed, uh, but it was always the administration side of the club that really attracted me, you know, so I got involved at the club level. And uh, just like an athlete, their, their long-term path, you know, uh, to high performance and so on, I guess my path went that way on the volunteer side of things. So, uh, you know, I went from club coach to being involved with our provincial organization, um, to being involved with Canada Games as a team manager, um, to being recognized by uh, Rowing Canada at the time. They were looking for new blood to get involved with, with their national programs um, for various competitions and so on and was offered that opportunity because they knew of me through um, um, me sitting at uh, on various committees and so on. Mm -hmm. um, so I got selected, you know, to go to world championships, uh, Pan American Games, um, and uh, um, it, it was at the Pan American Games uh, in Cuba in 1991 where the Canadian Olympic Association at the time they were called, um, you know, approached me and like my method of working with the team and uh, just being on top of things and meeting deadlines mm -hmm. and all the things that are really critical the, when yeah, you're going to major games. Yeah, time. exactly. So uh, they approached me and asked me if I had a would think about, you know, volunteering and being involved, you know, at a, at a major games. And of course, who wouldn't, you know, and, uh, so I, I ended up volunteering, uh, on mission team, uh, at the Olympics. That's a, you know. a big volunteer yeah. role. That is not a late position to take on. No, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, and, and it came, Somewhat naturally, I guess, for me, because um, at the time where I was asked to, to get involved, um, I had been employed by the province of New Brunswick in sport and recreation. Mm -hmm. So I had been working uh, in sport and volunteering in sport. I guess I had the best of both worlds, per se. But but each of those wor worlds, I, I learned from each of them. And I was able to apply what I learned as a volunteer to what I was doing as a professional and vice versa. Um, and as a professional, um, you know, part of our role in sport recreation was, um, you know, we all had an opportunity to be the chef de mission uh, for the province of New Brunswick at, at games. And I did, um, I was chef for a couple of our, our Canada games. Um, and even the leadership uh, skills I developed, you know, going to Canada Games, I was able to apply when I got asked to be an assistant chef for the Pan Am Games in 95. And then again, 
probably one of my, the highlights of my career was uh, as assistant chef for the Sydney Olympics. Wow. And, um, and how big of a step up was that from, from uh, being a chef at Canada Games level or even uh, at the um, Pan Am level to the Olympic level? Yeah. Was it that big of a jump? Or it, it was. It was is it all the same hell? Yeah. It, I mean, <laughs> it, it was in a sense of um, the roles were different uh, most definitely because um, – uh, they were seen more as a protocol role uh, that you end up playing, um, you know, for those games. Although, because I was so, I loved operations and logistics and whatnot, I said to them, I, I don't want to just be a handshaker. I don't want to just be a cheerleader. Like you put me to work. I'd mm-hmm. like to contribute, you know, to the mm-hmm. overall mission team. So they did, you know, they, they gave me our, like I coordinated our orientation seminar for those games, you know, for all of our um, coaches and uh, mission team members and uh, team managers and our medical team. Um, so I, I, I was more hands-on than, than in the past. So, but again, I think they felt confident to let me do that because of my professional um, skills, you know, and the Canada Games. And when you're chef for the mission for the Canada Games back then, um, it was a, a, a role, a, a day-to-day role in government. And so you did all the operations and the logistics and whatnot. And I think things have changed mm-hmm. since then. I think it, now it's a volunteer yeah, role. Yeah, you know, way for, more of a volunteer yeah, position. Exactly. So the two really, uh, like I was saying, complemented each other. And um, uh, again, it was a, a really smooth transition and so on. So I did a lot of volunteer work with the Canadian Olympic Committee, they kept asking me to be on mission team. Um, so I did an, a series of uh, uh, mission teams, Pan Ams and Olympics, uh, up until those games, the Sydney Olympic Games. And um, uh, the executive director um, at the time, Mark Lowry, who is one of my heroes, um, yeah. uh, in sport and, and what he's uh, done for sport, uh, he approached me and asked if I was interested in working for uh, the Canadian Olympic Committee at the at the time. And um, there was some restructuring that was going on within the organization, and they lost a lot of people that were involved on the games op, op side, mm-hmm. operation side. And uh, the chef de mission for the the, the upcoming games, which were the Winter Olympic Games in Salt Lake City, happened to be Sally Rohorik, who lived in Fredericton <laughs> at the time. And she was a um, figure skating international judge and uh, involved with uh, the Canadian Olympic Committee. And she knew of me and, and they were struggling in terms of their operations. And, you know, it was the games were fast approaching and things just weren't happening or getting done um so she she basically put the bug in mark's ear and mark knew me because he used to be the chief executive officer of rowing canada before he started working (laughs) with the canadian olympic committee so now he could see things you know sometimes it's not what you know it's who you know in a a sense uh hopefully that wasn't my case uh, anyway so um he approached me and uh he said you know you know if you 
could get the time off, you know, just to do the games, those games. So I always had it in my mind that I would just do a, not a secondment, I took a leave of absence from government to, to work with them over an 18 month period. Very, very fortunate that my director uh, at the time um, was very, very supportive of individuals that wanted to gain managerial and leadership, you know, skills and so on. And so um, they did give me the time off to to volunteer. That's awesome. Uh, not to volunteer the time off to, to work. And uh, I guess the rest is history because, you know, basically yeah. I never looked back. They, the Canadian Olympic Committee kept offering to renew my contract year right. after year after year. So, yeah. so anyway, so 14 Olympic Games later, oh, <laughs> I am... I am, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, it's time for me to hang up the sneakers. So, yeah, yeah between... Give someone like, else a try. I, I was counting. Everybody always asked me, how many games did you do? And I says, well, in in a 34-year career, I've done 32 games. So, you know, that's all the Canada, like Canada games, summer and winter, right. Pan American games, right. Youth Olympic games, Summer Olympics, Winter Olympics, basically, yeah. when you add them all up, yeah. you know, that's how many that I've done in different capacities, yes. you know, like as a volunteer, as well as, yeah. you know, as staff. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That is absolutely incredible. I, um, so with my own coaching career, I, uh, I've coached one Canada Games and one Western Canada Games, mm-hmm. um, and have just loved the experience every time. It's just so fun to to work with a team and kind of see them through their cycle, and then and then see the payoff at the games, or see your mistakes and learn from it, and and kind of move forward. And um, absolutely, I just yeah, I've totally been in love with the process, and I can definitely see myself like continuing to stay involved with these kind of events as the yeah. year goes on. And it's yeah. so inspiring to me to see someone who's been able to take such a massive undertaking and, and keep with it for so long. Yeah. Um, do you find that, so you're retired now, but are, are you really retired? Are they, will they let you off the hook or are they still coming to oh, you? I mean, you know, like I've, I've, uh, I, I tried to retire before, um, my last games were supposed to be London, uh, yeah. basically. And at that time, um, the organization, um, you know, really grew in scope uh, and in terms of delivery of a high performance environment. And with that came a lot of expectation from all of our partners and stakeholders in terms of what we deliver at a major Mm -hmm. games. And so um, there was a need for us to look at the games and approach it not just from a how do we uh, develop and work with our athletes and coaches and our support staff and whatnot leading up to the games? But there's a whole other group of individuals, including, uh, you know, government officials that go to the games, uh, sponsors, uh, VIPs, uh, uh, family and friends, Mm -hmm. um, you know, so there's this whole other structure that needed some attention to to ensure that they don't become a distraction to the team. And because I knew both environments, basically, um, there was somewhat of a sort of a a job created for me, per se, Mm -hmm. that I would be sort of the liaison between, you know, all of these other partners and groups with with the team. And so 
there became a focus on the corporate side of the organization. And uh, it by no stretch or measure ever took precedent over what happens with the with the athletes and coaches. They were always number one. But there was a significant amount of work that needed to happen to prepare these individuals, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of what they're going to experience at the games and their capacity. Um, and so they don't become that distraction for the team. So I I provided support to that whole initiative, mm-hmm. um, understanding, you know, what was, what the team, when the team was approachable and when they weren't approachable right. in terms of, you know, any connection that needed to happen. You know? Right. It really does sound like you have such a unique skill set and experience ba- and, and background mm-hmm. in, in kind of every level of the multi-sport game. Yeah, it would be pretty hard to replace Betty <laughs> in that in that kind of way. Um, but let's go back to Mark Lowry. Uh, I had sent you a couple of emails or, or a couple of questions ahead of time in an email so I could prep you a little bit. I don't like to normally prep my guests too much. I like to just chat. Yep. But um, that was when we, I wanted to talk to you about your heroes back in November when I was at the Sport Leadership Conference. That was one of the questions I would spring upon everyone is who's your hero? Right. Um, and I find you get some really... I find there's kind of two answers. There's either um, a famous sports person or there's my mom or dad. Um, and it's it's so amazing because, like, like you can't underestimate the power of, of those kind of role models in sport and, right. and people who've gone to done mm-hmm. incredible things. But really when it comes down to it, like, the, yeah. people, the people who are closest in your life usually are the ones who have the, right. the biggest impact, whether it was your parents or a coach or yeah. whoever. But. Yeah, and... and- it's interesting because I start, you know, is there a hero yeah. out there that really stands stands out? And hero to me is somebody who really has done something truly exceptional, humanitarian, or mm-hmm. has overcome adversity in in some way, f- some fashion, or something like that. Uh, for me, it wasn't. Uh, I didn't rely on heroes. I relied on people. Uh, I call them enablers, you know, mm-hmm. that helped me achieve what I've achieved. And you're right. It was mom and dad, you know, like I think everybody yeah. had parents, um, uh, again, you know, encouraged me to do whatever I wanted to do. I had a coach in high school who was a nun. Um, I went to a Catholic school in Montreal, a segregated Catholic school. They, I don't think they have them anymore. I'm really aging myself here, Ashley. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, but she, um, it was just her method of coaching and she'd wear the full habit at oh, practices yeah. and oh, she'd yeah. run up and down the court and <laughs> yell at us and whatnot, you know, she's otherwise very pious, but when she was coaching, <laughs> watch out. <laughs> anyway, oh, that's perfect. But it was just the way she, she talked to us and how passionate she was yeah. and how respectful she was mm-hmm. of us as athletes and so on. So there was her, there was my coach and Seja. I had a professor at university when I was, wasn't doing very well in one of my classes and I was getting really discouraged about it. And he put in extra time with me to ensure that, you know, I, this wasn't something cause I was doing well and everything else except that particular course. And so what was the one course? Oh, it was kinesiology. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it. My, uh, my biomechanics things. course just about killed me. Is that right? Then, yeah. Oh, big time. <laughs> I love doing all the activity classes we had to take, but when it came time yeah. to classroom stuff, I, I struggled yeah. a little bit for sure. Yeah. 
Um, you know, it was our director at the sport branch that gave me the time to to um, better myself in terms of management and stuff like that. But and Mark Lowry, mm-hmm. uh, for me, was somebody who um, again um, had a vision for where he wanted to see the sports system go. Um, and it was just after the Athens Olympic Games where there was a lot of uh, expectation that uh, a lot of our athletes were going to podium, um, you know, at those games. And we had a, a bit of a disappointing mm-hmm. uh, games, needless mm-hmm. to say. And um, uh, he asked the question, why, you know, why is this happening? Why is it that athletes do very well on the world stage and world cups and placing on the podium but once they get to the olympics they seem to choke or yeah yeah lose focus or whatever it is um and so he was uh i remember he did an interview i think uh, those games at the end of those games where um the person interviewing him was really coming at him pretty hard in terms of you know what is the coc doing about this and you know are you disappointed with the results etc 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 and um he took responsibility i think it was the first time and said yes you know we are disappointed and we see ourselves as a high performance partner with our national sport organizations we have to do a better job in working with them mm-hmm. you know figuring out what what the problem is and supporting them not just you know a year out before the games but the four year cycle leading up to the games is what are we doing you know to to help them and so he he coordinated with all the partners um in multi-sport organizations as well as the national sport organizations interviewed coaches interviewed athletes um and i think they determined at the time that it was um the distractions that the athletes have to deal with when they go to major games and it could be things like mom and dad are there you know, mm-hmm. they don't come to any other events, but all of a sudden they're at the games. The increased media, um, the restrictions on accreditations for their support team, like, right. you know, not being able to access, you know, the therapist that they've had, you know, for four years leading mm-hmm. up to the games. And all of a sudden they, they're not accredited, so they can't treat them. Um, uh, things like um, not understanding their environment, you know. So I've never been to China in my life, and all of a sudden I'm in China, at the you know the Olympic Games. World so not being and, familiar yeah. with their environment, you know the you know the 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 air quality, you know the heat, uh, the food, you know dealing with well, all of that distraction. When you're right? performing at such a high level, like every single tiny little percentage of performance matters. Absolutely, at the end. Yeah. absolutely. And and it's not just the athlete, but it could be their coaches too, right. not understanding yeah. that environment as well too. So they they need to how be. How much aware how much support was given to the coaches in prepar- in preparation leading up to these kind of events versus the athletes? Like is. Are they getting the same kind of mental training or is it kind of just like, all right? Well, it did change. Yeah. So, so after Athens, that's where we said we need to work better. We need to be more consistent in uh, familiarization and Olympic preparation, which is different than going to you know world championship mm-hmm. and so on. So we did create an excellent series for coaches, for team managers, um, uh, you know, for... Um, what we call the um, IST, 
integrated sport team. integrated sport uh, team uh, which would include you know medical support and technology all that kind of stuff and uh, and athletes as well too we had a series of, of um, Olympic excellence series for them as well too where previous athletes would come back and not necessarily successful ones but the ones that didn't succeed right to sort of talk about you know how they dealt with the disappointment and yeah. so on and so forth and um. Which was something I wanted to ask you about. How so? Like the Olympics really are something special in our in our sports system yep. globally. Mm-hmm. Um, and working for the COC, I imagine just like how much higher you must feel the like how much more pressure must be on you to perform, and how much more you feel the failures or the shortcomings. Like how do you deal with that? Right. Uh, absolutely. Um, sports psychologists play a key. A role in terms of that preparation you know and there are you'd be surprised how many teams never had access to those types of services before right so going back to mark and why i felt he was my hero is he had this vision to sort of say we need to be more involved with our stakeholders um, in preparing the athletes and i think he also knew as we were getting closer to um, 2010, you know, hosting the games here in Canada, we wanted to ensure that our athletes would succeed at the on home field, basically. Um, and so the creation of Own the Podium came about because of this, you know, where there was more emphasis put in on um, the technical aspect of, of each each sport, you know, and how they prepare because it's not necessarily cookie cutter uh, kind of approach that you have, you could take with, you know, the collective of mm-hmm. sports, you know, so individualized Olympic preparation games plans had to be put in place and they included the whole own the podium side of things, the technical portion of it, but it was also the familiarization piece, preparation piece of the games environment that we were responsible for. Mm-hmm. So the two meshed and, you know, you could see the success that we've had over a number of games, particularly in the winter games. Oh, you know, sure. It's been pretty significant. Yeah. yeah. Um, was it our, our last winter games were our, our, was our best performance our best ever in terms right? of medals? Yeah. That's really yeah. cool. How is it part of being that? How is it uh, being a part of that team? I mean, you know, Every team has had something so special and unique, you know, like people say, what were your best Olympics? And I can't really have, I don't have a best one. Like everyone had something very special, you know, Mm -hmm. that happened to me either personally or that I witnessed, you Mm -hmm. know, on, on, uh, in terms of performance and so on. Uh, Pyeongchang were interesting, you know, they, they were interesting games being in South Korea. They, they had their set of challenges and, we on the games operational side always deal with, um, uh, you know, it's interesting. National Olympic committees are the are the constant in terms of games delivery, whereas organizing committees are there for seven years and then they're gone and then a new one is, mm-hmm. is struck kind of thing. And um, cultures play a factor, being able to adequately communicate with each, uh, with each other, um, uh, it, and it's also the level of sophistication of the organizing committee in terms of their willingness to have experts in the field, mm-hmm. you know, work with them mm-hmm. uh, really makes a difference, you know, in terms of what they're able to deliver. Um, the economics of the country 
you know yeah. like oh my gosh yeah. you know the things that happened in Rio or didn't happen in Rio right. and uh, horrible to 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 know now that if you were to go back and yeah. go to those venues they're white elephants you know like yeah. it's sad yeah. to see and yeah. again it's they did at the time they were bidding for the games the rise of the economy was you know on the upswing it was mm-hmm. going really well and then it crashed right it's so disappointing to see um in in university we uh in our senior year we had a, a capstone project to do and one of my um one of my classmates john wrote about uh the kind of the the effects of super events or these mega events yeah. on on countries and how giant stadiums can just be left to to dust basically or left to rot and it's it's so sad to see um a community like kind of like upheaved to make way for this big event and then for it just kind of to be left yeah absolutely can can you see a future can what do you think is going to happen to the Olympics in the future? Basically? Well, you know what? I, I struggle with that one, right? Because I would definitely love it to continue on. But I think uh, the approach that um, the IOC is taking now is um, trying to be more current in terms of, you know, the events that are, are being held because mm-hmm. it's 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 um, the spectator um has changed Mm -hmm. you know in terms of what they want to watch Mm -hmm. and see and so we've seen a lot of extreme sports included you know in the games i'm a bit of a traditionalist in terms of you know (laughs) uh, the the traditional sports that that you would see i think the uh personally I was gonna say personally, I'm very excited to see surfing and the the oh the race climbing. Yeah, race I think that's climbing. gonna be really cool. Well, that's it, right? And yeah. like mountain biking, we're yeah. saying there's no way mountain biking. Look how popular yeah. it is now, yeah. and so on, right? For, yeah. Although maybe yeah. maybe it'll just be one of those flash in the pan sports. Like, um, was it in Calgary they had uh, ski dancing, or what was? <laughs> What was that event? There was like a ski ballet oh, event. Oh, ski ballet event. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh, good memory. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's not it's not firsthand account memory. <laughs> but the but the size of it. I mean, look. Yeah. Unfortunately, what happened in Calgary. Yeah. Not going ahead with the mm-hmm. bid for twenty twenty six, and and you know, if I were a taxpayer in Calgary, I'd be questioning it too in yeah. terms of. The overall budget and you know governments not being able to make you know mm-hmm. the commitments that they used to make mm-hmm. you know in the past and so on and so it'll be interesting to see if if the concept of recycling mm-hmm. like you know locations right. is is the way to go i mean um who would have thought that china hosted in 2008 which wasn't very long ago mm-hmm. and here they're going to be hosting again in 2022 mm-hmm. And they're using the some of the facilities, mm-hmm. like people saying, well, yeah, but they're winter games, but yeah, they have ice uh, sports. So yep. the, uh, the ice sports are going to take place in the venues that they built for the summer games, yeah. you know? So yeah. at least there's um, uh, a sense and a willingness by some cities to say, you know, we don't have to build brand new. We mm-hmm. could look at refurbishing mm-hmm. and or putting up temporary. London did uh, a good job uh, when they hosted those games because, yeah. yes, they did build some new facilities, but they used a lot of existing facilities mm-hmm. and they refurbished or they put in temporary facilities. Yeah, and, and I feel like that... Um that like will lend itself to the community much better in the, in the end, like it'll be able to be used by the, by the, by the citizens and, and, 
and create a legacy rather than a, a, an eyesore or a absolutely uh, yeah like you said the white elephant but yeah the richmond the oval in richmond mm-hmm. is a is an example of mm-hmm. how much that community embraced that venue mm-hmm. so yes it was you know, uh, speed skating, long track speed skating during the games. But now you go into that facility and I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's really, really, it's a community center now, you know, in terms of, you know, basketball, volleyball, Mm -hmm. uh, wheelchair basketball. uh, They have a rowing tank in there, um, you know, fitness facilities and events facilities as well too right mm-hmm. you know not necessarily sport uh, dance uh, anyways it's it's a multi-purpose uh facility that's getting a lot of use mm-hmm. in the community now mm-hmm. yeah um a, a thought that just popped into my head what's uh what do you think the point of the olympics are what do you think is the point of hosting an olympics or or even running it in the first place oh gosh <laughs> that's a hard one Take as much time as you need. Yeah. Um, to showcase the world's best, right? Yeah. And I always go back to, it's the only event where the whole world comes together and we're not yeah. at war. Yeah. You know, we, yeah. we come and we, and we play together. We, you know, we may compete against yeah. each other, but it's done in a respectful yeah. way and so on. So for me, I, I think that if we lose that, then what else is there, you right. know, that, that keeps us together globally, that brings attention to global issues as well, too, yeah. right? You completely. know, so, yeah. No, I completely agree. Um, yeah, well, I, while on one hand it is, like, seeing the peak of human performance, right. it, it's also about um, it kind of, like, uniting through sport and, and kind of showing what's possible. Absolutely. Yeah, at the highest level. And, and there are, I, I'm not saying that it's, I mean, it's it's grown in scope and mm-hmm. sophistication, and I think the marketing of of the games has probably gone, you know, maybe a little too far in mm-hmm. some respects because of, um, again, this is where I think there's more pressure put on athletes mm-hmm. to perform, right? Mm-hmm. You know, is is there individual sponsors, yeah. you know, yeah. and so on. TV and, deals, uh, all that kind of thing. Oh my gosh, it's amazing! It's amazing. Well, you know, I think about. Um, individuals that competed at the games that didn't have their moment in the sun because somebody doped Mm. and cheated and got the medal that they should have had, you know, kind of thing. And so they didn't have their moment. And then eight years later, after testing and so on, all of a sudden they're elevated to the podium and they get their medal. But But it's not the same. Their moment's gone. You know, eight years of, you know, they could have been, you know, on a Wheaties box for eight years, you know. (laughs) And while it seems like a silly thing, like it really does. It it does. It does. So there are parts of it where I say, you know, are the games really for the athletes or are they for, you know, the coca-colas of the world yeah. and the samsungs of the world yeah. and whatnot and anyway i just um um i mean people are still gravitated to them there's mm-hmm. no doubt about it you know mm-hmm. they're exciting and i think us as canadians mm-hmm. since vancouver i was gonna say i've seen like it's I, dramatic totally just yeah. like our national sense of identity and pride yeah. is 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 yeah so yeah. different absolutely from having hosted and, and absolutely performed and, and and uh 
you know, the organizing committee had had that vision to ensure that it was seen as a Canadian host hosted games as opposed yeah. to just a Vancouver yeah. slash Whistler hosted games. And, um, you know, it was that that torch, you know, yeah. really that went across Canada. I yeah. think that started it, you know, yeah. basically. So, yeah. Yeah, that was that was such a cool moment. I, I still remember when we won our first gold medal of those games and it was um was it alex alex yeah yeah one yeah, yeah. uh one in the ski event and uh he's hugging his brother and i'm sitting at oh. home in winnipeg bawling oh. and like that's that's part of what got me into this field in general is just like yeah like okay I'm, this is one thing in my life that just like brings out that passion and yeah. just like can can bring me to tears absolutely every time and and maybe it's it's those human it's, stories yeah, to me that completely. that are really you know, touch me as well too. And, and we see things that, you know, yeah, the public don't see, you yeah. know, like it's, it's that athlete that comes back to the village, yeah. you know, after they've had either a successful or unsuccessful competition, you know, and, yeah. and, and it's how they carry themselves and how genuine they are. Yeah. And our Canadian athletes are so genuine, yeah. so genuine, yeah. um, and appreciative of everything that we do, what, yeah. that we do for them, you know, behind the scenes and yeah. so on Makes and how so human they are, right. you know, like they, they are, um, very, very human. Yeah. That was, a, that was the thing actually I started realizing, uh, kind of into my late teens, early adulthood was, uh, hanging around the Winnipeg Rowing Club, there's a few, there's a few ex-Olympians that are still training out of there, our national team members. And um, I think it was for the 2012 games, we sent four of our alumni to, to that event. And uh, it was cool. Um, Janine Hansen at the time, now Janine Stevens is our provincial coach with, uh, with Manitoba and to get to know her and, and hang out with her. And she has, uh, I think the, her twin daughters are four or five years old now. And she's just, such a human, just such yeah. a regular person exactly. who did a, did a really amazing thing. Um, and I remember growing up thinking, oh my God, Olympians are, are a completely different race of people. Right. Like they're just so superhuman. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know how to relate to them. Yeah. And then getting to meet them in real life, you're like, oh, yeah. you're kind of just me. The, like <laughs> The other people that are human were professional coaches that yeah. came into play yeah. in Salt Lake City where, yeah. where the first games were um the NHL players yeah you know came in and um uh I remember Pat Quinn was the head coach for the men's team uh, oh no so it wasn't Salt Lake City Nagano were the first games that NHL were there Salt Lake City, the first ones I worked at uh, as a full-time employee of the COC. And Pat Quinn was our, our, uh, the coach. And, uh, of course, they won the gold medal. Um, and the women's team won the gold medal. They, they It was exceptional games for us, those games. And um, Pat Quinn was outside of the... Um, it was the day before the games, the, the final... And he was sitting on a bench in front of our building, just by himself, sitting on a bench, just watching athletes walking by and all that stuff. And so I said, I'm going to go out and just see how he's doing, you yeah. know, like yeah. the pressure on him too, oh right? God. From not making the podium in, in, uh, in Nagano to, there was a lot of pressure on them, needless to say. So I went out and I said, Pat, how's it going? Is everything fine? And he goes, sit sit next to me and <laughs> I sat down and we had a conversation about everything except the Olympics yep. or 
the game he was going to play the next day, he yeah. talked about family, yeah. vacations, and <laughs> anyways, and so again, it was one of those things that, like, they're human beings too, you yeah. know, even though they have that professional tag on right. them and whatnot, you know, and... Um, Anyway, so that was a special moment for sure. That's very cool. Sure, yeah. Um, this has been such a cool conversation. I could go on for hours, but I, for the, our listeners' sake, I will. I'll keep it to one more question. Yeah. Um, what do you think makes a good coach? Um, there are a number of things yes. that I think make a good coach. Um, for sure, you know certification getting training the the appropriate mm-hmm. training for um again you sure you're not just saying that because it's coach new brunswick no <laughs> no not no not at all but i mean like i mean you have to have some kind of a skill set right yeah. you know yeah. in order to uh work with athletes regardless of what their career path is you know mm-hmm. so they're either at rec or high performance yeah. or whatever you got to make sure that you have the appropriate credentials yeah. let's put it that way um right? one of my favorite songs one of the lyrics goes uh teach only what you know and you better know it well now there you go yeah. that's perfect yeah. that's perfect so that's one thing um i think knowledge of her or his environment and and what i mean by that is if you're going to be involved um, have an understanding of of your club, you know, your sport club, of your provincial sport organization. And again, depending on what your aspirations are as a coach, you know, like understand your national sport organizations as well too and where there are opportunities there. Um, be as current as possible, you know, in terms of practices, mm-hmm. you know, so making sure that you're up to speed on, on the latest in terms of, uh, what's being provided, um, uh, you know, f- from a skill set development perspective. I think being sensitive to to athletes, uh, to your athletes in terms of what they may be dealing with on the personal level. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, if something's not going right in practice and whatnot, it's not necessarily because of your coaching skill, but something that might be mm-hmm. going on in their mm-hmm. personal life, right? Yeah, athletes are... Athletes aren't just machines or sacks of meat. They're a- absolutely whole, whole complex other kind yeah. of being. Being a great communicator, so it's not only sharing but also listening, is is key for me. And that includes uh, good communication with athletes, with parents, um, and if you're high profile in terms like Canada Games or whatever, or you're heading off to national championships, it's prepare yourself for any media. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that's a good one interviewing and stuff like that. So make a point of, you know, practicing, you yeah. know, uh, yeah. media interviews. Yeah. I think a lot of coaches are, yeah. are afraid to do that. Yeah. I think that's important. Um, for me, a good coach is someone who's passionate, um, and who's involved in sport for the love of sport. Mm-hmm. Um, and never feels a sense of entitlement, mm-hmm. you know, is I think, key for me um they have to be caring and they have to be respectful of others so yeah yeah i 100 percent agree with those um going back to the media one for for a quick second why do you think it's important that coaches articulate themselves well 
when they're presenting themselves with the I media always, or yeah i always say to a, to a coach or even an app like whoever's being interviewed this is your opportunity to to promote your sport to promote your 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 organization mm-hmm. and whatnot and so um i think you need to do it in a very positive way i think also whenever you're talking to media um, you're representing either your your club, uh, your province, uh, your country. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a reflection on you as an individual and um, other people that are associated with you. So I think you have to be really careful in terms of what you say and how yeah. you say it. Yeah, yeah. I remember in, in middle school going on, on class field trips to like the Manitoba Museum or wherever we were going and our teachers sitting down with us and having a very stern talk about when we go, everyone's on their best behavior. You're not just yourself there. You're representing our school and we want to keep going back to these places and and that kind of stuff. That's always been drilled into my head. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think so too is is you have to be prepared for the unexpected questions mm-hmm. and not to be afraid to say I'm sorry I can't answer that you know mm-hmm. like it's okay not not to answer it if you're not comfortable with it um, and you should always whoever's going to be interviewing you have a discussion with them in terms of what types of questions they you know they'll likely mm-hmm. be asking you but you might be caught off guard sometimes too I remember seeing it at Canada Games and seeing it at the Olympic level where there was some crisis going on at the Games and a coach was coming out of uh, one of their training session practices and the microphone shoved in their face and mm-hmm. it was like they had to react to what mm-hmm. was going on said the wrong thing as opposed to saying, I'm sorry, I, I this is the first I've heard I can't make a comment. Mm-hmm. Or it might not be their place to comment either, right? You'll have to talk to our chef de mission or yeah. you'll have to talk to my our media liaison yeah. or whatever, you know. So it's okay to back away from that right. as well too. Yeah. Right. No, that's a good tip. Yeah. Cool. Well, Betty, thank you so much for le- for coming and talking with me today or for letting me come to talk to you. Yes. Thanks to everyone who's been listening all season long. A special shout out to our, our favorite listener, Dan McCarty, uh, who sends me uh, fan emails uh, about once every two or three episodes. Dan, keep them coming. I love it. Um, and uh, as a reminder, this is our season finale. Thank you so much to everyone for supporting us this season. Uh, we will be recording our second season into uh, the spring and the summer. So if anyone wants to get a hold of me with ideas or topics that they'd like to hear about, uh, send me an email. I'm more than happy to, to work that into our schedule. But in the meanwhile, I will see you in the fall and get to practice.